0: You are listening to audio from the Creek Church. If you would like more information about the Creek, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. How are we doing? It's good to see you guys. Hey, uh, I uh, just want to say thank you uh, and give you some props because last week um, you were uh, really the hands and feet of Jesus. I'm sorry that the rain. Affected everything. Um, that parking was mud bogging, and uh, uh, we had some people get stuck, and some guys with their trucks got to pull them out. Um, so I think that's a good thing. But um, you know, it was fun watching a Ford pull a Chevy. But uh, um, I know so. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nothing can divide us except. <laughs> But thank you for, for having grace. Uh, uh, we're in construction, and it is, it, it's a little chaotic. And uh, so uh, uh, thank you for the grace. And then you guys haven't had to deal with this, but the last two weeks, uh, we didn't have air conditioning on Saturday night. And uh, so, boy, you talk about hot. Uh huh. Um, so I think that's the one where the services most people got saved, because they're like, if you'll shut up and stop preaching and give me the air conditioning, I'll get saved. I was like, "All right, you know," or you just get it real hot in the room, and you walk out, and you go, "You think it's hot here?" Um, I, don't, I don't know. Wow. Um, so, but we do have some good news. We poured uh, foundation on Friday, so uh, things can start rocking and rolling. And. Uh, We'll see some steel going vertical, and then they can move the air conditioner unit, and hopefully we'll get past all those issues. And uh, uh, let me talk to you about Easter next week. Um, some some practical things that are, we're doing um, because I'm already kind of concerned about parking. Um, you heard Alec ask if you could go to the Saturday night or 8:30, um, but here's what we're doing for parking for Easter Sunday and and uh, to give us some relief. So we're bringing in. Um, a lot of gravel this week, and uh, we're going to be putting some extra gravel up on this top, st- top side, and uh, then we're going to be putting a lot of gravel down in the grass, down, down where the construction trailer is, and so we can get cars and parking down in the grass, and then to help get people back and forth, we've rented two six-passenger golf carts that we're going to shuttle people back and forth, um, because I've heard, ladies, it's hard to walk on gravel and heels, um, so that's why I don't wear heels, by the way. But, because um, I walk on gravel a lot. But, um, uh, so we're gonna get that in, and we've got the, the shuttles that we've rented. And so let me say this. Guys, even ladies, if you wanna drive one of those shuttles, if you wanna be a shuttle driver next weekend for Easter at the Creek, I need you to see us at the Welcome Center. Um, I don't know if we'll be able to get you a little cabbie hat or something like that. But, um, and then I was asked last night, no, they are not jacked up golf carts with mud tires. They're just a plain old golf cart. So I'm sorry about that, um, but... Um, Uh, I even tried to see if we could rent some with flames on the side. I don't know. Just something a little unique for the creek, uh, but they're just a plain old... uh Golf cart, but if you want to, if you could help us by being a shuttle driver, um, we want to get that get that moving, and, and uh, we can get a place for you in that driver's seat. And uh, and I think next week is just going to be an incredible weekend. Last year we had over sixteen hundred people on campus for for the five Easter services. And uh, here's what I'm praying about this year: I'm praying for even more lives to be changed. So if you if you're not doing anything about Easter, then let me ask you to at least do this. Pray for next week that we see salvations like we've never seen before because I really believe that we're going to see people saved in a way that we've never seen before. Two weeks ago, we had 15 people in the four services give their life to Christ. Um, That's an incredible, incredible thing. Um, the week before that there were six people that gave this so I believe that God is just pouring out salvation God is doing something incredible um, through the creek and here's the here's why I believe that and here's why we're seeing that because you're willing to talk to people about jesus you're willing to invite them to church you're willing to bring them to a place and we're going to preach the gospel that's that's just all I got i don't I'm, my jokes aren't funny I got nothing else we don't have golf carts with flames on them we don't have jacked up golf carts we got gravel lots and mud and all kinds of crazy Around here, We're a hot mess, but here's what we do have. We have the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation. And so that's what we're going to make very clear every weekend. And we're going to do that next weekend. So I'm looking forward to that. If you got your Bible, go to Luke chapter 14. We're finishing up our series this weekend called Storyline, where we're uh, teaching through the parables of Jesus in the book of Luke. And, and this, I've got to just say this. This has been a challenging series. It's been a challenging series to teach and I think a challenging series to even kind of engage with because Jesus doesn't give us fluff when he tells a parable. When Jesus tells a story to teach us a spiritual truth, he doesn't give us fluff. And he's teaching us important things about the kingdom, about salvation, about where we really stand. He's using stories to teach us about future things. And these things aren't always the easiest for us to get in and deal with. They're challenging stories. They're challenging truths that call us to really reflect on where we stand with God. Where are we in our relationship with Jesus? And what's interesting about these stories, these, these parables that Jesus tells us, very often he's, he's answering the real question that needs to be answered. He'll get asked a question and he won't answer that question. He'll answer the real question that needs to be answered. Or he's going to correct something in a behavior and an attitude. And so where we pick up in this, these, there's two parables that we're going to look at today. Where we pick up in these is uh, Jesus is invited to the, to the house of a Pharisee. It's on a Sabbath, so it's a Saturday. It's the holy day of rest. He's invited to this dinner party at the Pharisee's house, and there's other Pharisees that have come in. And what, what I love about that is two weeks ago, we talked about Jesus going to the house of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, who was a sinner, who was hated by Rome, who was hated by the Jews because he was a tax collector. Then you have Zacchaeus uh, climbing up in the tree and Jesus saying, hey, I'm going to your house today. And when he goes to his house, um, Zacchaeus, in the, in the presence of God, in the presence of Jesus Christ, there's a transformation that happens. And Jesus says, today salvation has come to your house. I love that Jesus is willing to go and spend time with people who are considered the outcast. What's also great about Jesus is he's willing to go sit with the religious people because he loves both of them. See, in church, I think we go through these swings where some of us grew up in a very legalistic background, and so we see the impacts of religion, not relationship, of religion on what that can do and how that can leave us, and we begin to swing, and we kind of become volatile towards religious people. Jesus loves religious people. Jesus wants to save religious people. Jesus wants to save people who are outcasts. And Jesus is willing to spend time with with people who are religious, people who are not religious, all for the purpose of saving them. He didn't hang out with people just because it was fun hanging out with people. He hung out with people because he wanted to see them receive the salvation and reconciliation with their father both sinners and, 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 and religious people alike. And so Jesus is at this, this dinner party. It's on a Sabbath. There's a man that needs healing. He's got dropsy. Jesus says, ask the religious people, is it, is it unlawful to heal on the Sabbath? They just look at him. And he goes, well, I'm gonna do what's right. He heals him. And he knows the religious people are watching him, trying to catch him. They're trying to trap him and, and get him to say something they can use against him. And so Jesus really perceives the heart of everything going on at this dinner party. And then he starts watching their attitudes and behaviors. He, he, this is what it says in verse 7. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor. So at this table, imagine a giant table, and for us, you know, we would have a giant table with, with chairs that we would sit in. Um, they would be reclining at the table. So it'd be like this giant table, and, and they're all like this. They're like, so, um, what's for dinner, you know? This is probably why we've gotten back to eating on the couch, right? You know? I'd be like this. Like, can I have some more, you know? But they're, so they're reclining at the table. And Jesus is kind of looking around and he's like, huh. And he perceives the heart. And he goes in to tell this parable because he's noticing some things. There's people that are trying to get to the position of honor. That around the table, they're trying to get closest to the host so that they might be distinguished. And Jesus teaches them this parable. And he says this, when you get invited to a wedding feast... Now, this wasn't a wedding feast, but he's, he's setting it up. When you get invited to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come to you and say, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. That's the walk of shame. That's you go, you know, <laughs> you go into the reception, and you, you see the reserve sign, and you're like, hey, I got the best gift. Of anybody, I bought the most expensive thing on the registry, so I'm taking this seat. You know, this is my seat. You know, and Jesus said, when you do that, when you go seek your own place of honor, it will end with shame because they're going to come up and go, "Hey, you're sitting in the mother of the bride's seat. You need to go." You know. You're at the kids' table, you know? You're like, I'm, at the, I'm still at the kids' table? You know, you don't walk ashamed. You know, our kids do that every holiday. They want to sit at the big table. Like, no, we sat there. I don't want to sit at this table. I'm 28 years old, mom. <laughs> um, well, you're still living at home, so. Um, I'm sorry. That was not nice and appropriate. I, I, I got you, I got you, baby. Line, it's it, it's done. You do the walk shame. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place so, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. Here's where Jesus gets to the point. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He's going after the heart motivation, He's seeing these these people come around the table and they're trying to get to the place of honor. They're trying to get in and, and, and be in that place so they can receive that recognition. Now, Jesus sees people sitting around the table. What he perceives is the heart. He is fully man, he is fully God, and he sees the heart of man. And he sees this heart that they're trying to get this honor among themselves. And so he goes after them and he says, check your heart. He even teaches in chapter 13 that if you want to be first, be last. Be a servant. Take on the mentality of a servant. Humble yourself. Don't come in looking to to receive the honor. Come in looking to serve. Humility is not thinking too low of yourself, but it's not thinking too high of yourself. So find yourself in humility. That's an issue and a condition of the heart. We really need to take seriously at, at at this table we're invited to with Christ. And then he, he goes on, so he, he, he addresses the, the people at the table, then he goes to the host, he goes to the one who's throwing this, this party, and he says, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for when... For, when you will be, or for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now he's going out and saying to the host, he says, he says, let's check your heart in this. So humble yourself when you come to the table. Humble yourself when you come to these moments. And then to the, to the, the host, he's saying, when you throw these things, check your heart in this. He, he's given us a filter for our ministry motivation. You know, he's saying, are you, are you serving for God or for you? And we go through this filter, because if we're serving for our purposes, then our agenda becomes priority. And he's saying, you know, when you throw these things, don't invite people who can pay you back. Don't invite something to where it's going to obligate someone else to put them on the hook. If, if that's your mentality, then you're not serving someone, you're trading favors. That's why I don't own a pickup truck. I mean, come on. I don't want to help you move. And I don't want you to be obligated to me if I help you move because I'm going to call in that favor. Like, hey, I helped you move. You know, or, or, or we get into this idea, you know, or I get calls. Can you come help me move? Like, dude, all you did was move my couch. I'm not moving your whole house. That's going to one-up it. Then you owe me. You know, he's saying, don't, get, don't, don't think of serving in the kingdom and serving in the body as trading favors. Well, I'll do this for you because I know you're gonna owe me or I'm, a, I, I'm gonna owe you. Jesus said, that's not serving. That's for you. That's your agenda. That's trading favors. Now, Jesus isn't knocking dinner parties and saying, you know, don't invite your friends, you know, because we all get together and we, we have dinner and we're, next time we're doing it at your house. I'm like, awesome, I don't have to clean. Um, and so, so we get into that. He's not saying anything about that. What he's doing is check your motivation for your ministry. Because remember, the people hosting this party and the people at this party are religious leaders. Check your ministry motivation. Don't go to people who can repay you. You need to readjust your focus here. Change your ROI focus. What's your return on investment? I'm gonna invest in people just because it's the right thing to do. I'm not gonna serve you so I get something from you in return. I love doing things for people who can't even say thank you I mean, that's why why we do the areas of service we do as the creek. That's why we go across nations. That's why we go into our city to do things for people who can never pay us back because we want to serve God, not ourselves. And God says, I want to challenge you to serve God, not man. So if, if we're serving God, we're not serving man. If we're not serving man, that means we're not serving ourselves. He's saying, check your motivation in this. What is my motive for serving? I mean, next week, so many many of you have stepped up to get involved in areas for Easter weekend. And I wanna give you a caution, don't do it for you because I'm not gonna give you anything in return. I can't give you anything in return. I'm gonna leave that up to God to bless you how he's gonna bless you when you serve him. You're not serving me. And you're not serving you. And I'm grateful for your heart. I'm thank, I thank you for stepping in to serve. But we're doing this for the Lord. So he says, check that motivation. Now that he's got the heart and he's, he's addressed that, there's, there, there's, <laughs> there's one dude at the table that says something that launches this next parable. And so this guy's laying at the table. He says this, when one of those who reclined at the table with him, with Jesus heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now, you can get into to kind of religious situations and religious circles and, and contextually not say the right thing. It, it's, it's like if, I am, um, if I'm going through a, a difficult time, a challenging time, and I just feel the world kind of closing in on me, and I'm just I'm struggling and you come in and you got this chipper smile on your face, and you just remember, you're more than a conqueror. Um, although that's true, that's not gonna help the situation. Maybe it's just the best thing to do to say, I'm sorry, this this hurts, and I, I can't fix it, but I'm here with you, and if I can do anything, please please tell me but I'm here so you don't have to go through this dark night of the soul by yourself. And this this guy, after Jesus is just addressing our heart issues, leans back and says, blessed is everyone who eats bread in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus launches into this to say, you're making some assumptions that may not be true. Now, everyone who eats bread in the kingdom is going to be blessed, but the assumption is you're reclining at the table. So let's get in and really deal with what this invitation is all about. Let's get in and deal with what this kingdom is. So Jesus gives the parable of a great banquet in response to a religious guy reclining at the table saying, blessed are those who are in. And Jesus says this, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. When they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I gotta go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. The master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, sir, what you commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, here's the response. For I tell you, None of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Jesus has given an incredible teaching about the kingdom of heaven and how the gospel is designed to go out in salvation because the gospel, Romans tells us, Romans 1 says, for the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, and we like to stop there, but it says, but to the Jew first, then to the Greek, or some of your translations say to the Gentiles. And so what Jesus is explaining to this religious man that's reclining at the table saying, blessed is everyone who eats bread in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, let me give you some explanation about this kingdom that you're making an assumption that you're involved in. Because religion will not get you an involvement in the kingdom. The relationship with the Messiah, the relationship with Jesus is what brings us into the kingdom. He is the invitation to the table. And he says, uh, Look at this story, and Jesus associates those invited with the nation of Israel because the gospel was given to the Jew first. So so he's saying, look, the the nation of Israel is my chosen people. I didn't choose you because you were good. I chose you because I'm good, and I chose you to do things among you, to be your God, to set before you blessing, to set before you life, and you have rejected the Messiah He's sitting in front of you, and and you've made excuses. Well, you can't be the Messiah because you're healing on the Sabbath, and the Messiah is going to follow the law perfectly, better than we can. You can't be the Messiah because you're you're supposed to politically overthrow Rome because we're caught in oppression under this empire, and so you can't possibly be the Messiah. They're making excuses for Jesus as to why he can't be the Messiah. And Jesus says, you can throw your excuses aside. The Messiah is here, and if you're rejecting me, then here's what happens. He says in the story, go into the city to the lame, the crippled, the blind. He's saying, go to the people in the nation of Israel. The gospel's going to change the people in the nation of Israel that you religious people think are outside of the grace of God. If you remember a story where where a man was born blind and the disciples asked Jesus, why is this man born blind? Was it because of his sin or his parents' sin? And Jesus said, this isn't an issue of sin. There's an automatic thinking because this man's blind that he's outside of the grace of God, that there's some sin that's keeping him from the goodness of God. And, And what Jesus is explaining in this parable is that the invitation went to you Jews first. You've rejected me. You've made excuses and then it's going to the people that you think are unclean, that are outside of the grace of God. And then when he says go out into the highways in the countryside, he's saying it's going to the Gentiles. It's going to all the world. See, what we understand in this is that the invitation to life, the invitation from Jesus is for everyone. Everyone is invited to a place at the table. Everyone. Jesus died for the sin of the world. He died for all of our sins. He didn't just selectively say, I'm gonna die for Matt's sin on the cross. He absorbed the wrath of God against every sin in the world. The sad thing is the invitation goes out to all, but not all will receive that grace and forgiveness. And we make excuses of why we're unwilling to receive and accept that invitation from Jesus. Jesus. And I've heard these excuses preached both ways. I've heard it preached that they were they were poor excuses and they're laughable excuses, and that really any excuse we make to Jesus is is not a competent excuse. And I've heard people say, I've heard theologians say that these are these are valid excuses, but even our Valid excuses have no weight before Jesus. I mean, I, mean, I mean, nobody's gonna buy a field without going to inspect it. Nobody's gonna buy oxen without trying them out. I'm not touching the marriage one this morning after I already stepped in it with the kid's table. And we can get into this, this thing of trying to judge were they good excuses or poor excuses? The reality is they're excuses and the point is they missed the banquet The excuses get in the way of us pursuing and following Jesus. And Jesus will not do anything with our excuses. He will not justify us in our excuses. When we humble ourselves to him and stop the excuses, then he will excuse our sin. I mean, I hear people say, you know, I'll give my life to God. You know, I'll put my faith in Jesus when I can get my life cleaned up. That, that's an excuse. It's, it's an oxymoron, but it's an excuse. I have no way of cleaning up my life without the help of Jesus. Yeah, you know, I hear people say, you know, I'll share my faith and I, I wanna share my faith, but I don't feel like I know enough. I don't feel like I'm smart enough. That's an excuse that, that leads us to miss out on inviting someone else to life. If you're worried you're not gonna have the answer to a question, welcome to my world. If you could see my email. Let me, let, me, let me invite you into this. If someone asks you a question you don't know, say, that's a great question. How about we study that together? Because I'm kind of wrestling with that too. But let me tell you what I do know. Let me tell you what God has done in my life. Because every one of us are called, and we're sent out to invite other people to their place at the table. That when I, when I engage in this, this ministry of God, and every Christian is in ministry, it ain't about a paycheck, it's not about the place you go to work. Every Christ follower is engaged in ministry because the church is the vehicle that God has chosen. The church isn't plan B or plan A. It is the plan, the vehicle, to send this invitation out to all the world into life that the church is referred to in Scripture as a family, that you and I are set in a family. The church is referred to as a body, that we are all parts of the body, of which Christ is the head, and we become the hands and feet of Jesus. And we take this invitation. See, we can find ourselves in different places in this, in this parable, that are, are we the people who are making excuses and missing out on God's best? Or are we the people that the master is saying, "Go? Go into the city, go into the country, go to the highway, go to everybody, go to the broken, go to the poor, go to the marginalized, go to even your friends and family. Don't be selective about who you give this invitation to. Don't be selective about who you invite to life. It is third grade Valentine's Day, people. Everybody gets a Valentine's. Everybody gets an invitation. We become the hands and feet of Jesus. And we walk in that assurance See, Jesus doesn't want us to have assumptions about our place at the table. He wants us to have confidence that when he saves us, we are brought into a family, we're adopted, we're given a place as children in the family, and nothing can change our status of children. Now, we can fall out of fellowship with God I mean, here's the, here's the sad reality about the culture of Christianity in the Western world, in, in, in the North America in particular, is we have a lot of people who are sons and daughters of God. Our position at the table is secure. We're sons of the King. We're daughters of the King. We're children of the King. And our Father loves us, but we're not in fellowship with our Father. That we're sons that said, I am a son, and because of you being my dad, I can do anything I want in life because you got the tab. That's a disobedient son. He says, look, you have assurance as my son, as my daughter, but I'm asking you to engage in your relationship with your brothers and sisters at the table. I've got two daughters, and I love them dearly. And we, I've got, we have survived. We are done with the teenager years. Praise be to Jesus. I survived it. I got a few less hairs and a few more grays, but we survived it. And there were times that my kids wanted to have nothing to do with me. They're like, I may be in your family, but I don't love you. I don't, I don't want, I don't want anything to do with you. There was times when they were young, they were I'm never speaking to you again. I did that. We've all done that. That lasts like 20 minutes. But even in their pouting, even in the strife, even in their disobedience, it didn't change this truth. They are my daughter. And when they came to me in repentance, they were restored at the table. And you and I have that assurance. And you and I have a a role to play as members of the family and parts of the body. We become the hands and feet of Jesus. Paul wrote in Romans 10, how, how will, will people call on Jesus if they haven't believed? So how are they gonna how are they gonna believe in Jesus unless they hear? How are they gonna hear unless someone preaches? How are they gonna preach unless they're sent? You and I become those that are sent to preach the good news of Jesus so that people hear it, believe it, and are saved. And don't get caught up on this word preaching. Preaching, we have messed up the context of the word preaching in our society. We think preaching is spitting and yelling and beating the Bible and you're going to hell and you need to change your life now. And, you know, Jesus is here and he's here. You know, that's not preaching. Here's what preaching is it's the proclamation of what God has done. We simply proclaim what God has done. As the hands and feet of Jesus, we are sent to proclaim good news to the poor, to the blind, to the lame, to the outcast, to the broken, to the marginalized, to the people who need the proclamation of what Jesus has done on the cross and what he accomplished through the resurrection. We are sent to proclaim that. To people who will hear it and believe in Jesus. We become that vehicle as the church. These are challenging teachings. These parables are challenging because Jesus doesn't want us to live a life of fluff. He didn't call us to comfort, He called us to reflect His character. And when we see his character, he's willing to go into a religious leader's house and have dinner with him but say, you need to understand something. I'm not here just to call the righteous. I'm here to call the unrighteous. I'm not here for the well. I'm here for the sick. I'm not here just to restore you religious people. I'm here to reconcile the world through my blood that will be poured out on a cross. And I'm here to be raised in the power of the resurrection power through the Holy Spirit so that you all may have life. That none of you perish, but all come to repentance. That is my desire. That is what I've come to do. That is the invitation that we all have. They're challenging because Jesus challenges us. I'm gonna challenge you. I I want you to do two things this week. I want you to make two invitations. The first one is I want you to invite someone to Easter services next weekend. You've been praying for people to get saved. You have names of people that you've been praying for that you know need to hear proclaimed in their life what Jesus has done for them. And I'm asking you to to take a step and make that invite. Alec told you the ushers will have some of those cards. You can use those. Invite somebody. Not not here. I'm not about filling this house. I'm already worried about parking. I'm already worried about next week, but I'm trusting God with all that. I don't want to fill this house. I want to fill his house. He said that my house may be filled, that there be no empty place at my table, that we depopulate hell and populate heaven. And I'm asking you to invite somebody because here's what, here's what we're gonna do. Every week, I wanna, make, I wanna make Jesus clear. I'm not that funny. I'm not the best speaker. All I've got is him crucified and resurrected for us. But you know what? That's what I can proclaim because it has transformed my life. And I will proclaim that until I see him face to face and then I'll be in the glory of that forever and ever, amen. I'm asking you to invite people to life next week. We're gonna preach the gospel. We're going to make it clear. We're going to love them. Every person that walks through the door is going to be loved. And then I want you to take the next step. The week after Easter, I want to invite you to invite them, That's someone you invite to church, to a conversation, a follow-up. I'll give you the theme for next weekend. It's broken. I'll give you some talking points to sit down and say, hey, what do you think about the service? I mean, what did you think about that? What what do you think it means to have our sin broken? What do you think it means to have our shame broken? And I'm encouraging you, share your testimony with them in that follow-up conversation. You know, here's proclaim what Jesus has done. Here's areas of my life that Jesus has broken man I, I had shame i had whatever it is that you've walked through in your life that jesus has broken you free and set you in a life share that with them they need to hear it they may not accept the invitation to life next weekend you may be the one the following wednesday or thursday or monday or two weeks from then that they accept that invitation to life he may use you to show them their place at the table Let's do this. Let's fill his house. Let's be this hands and feet. Let's pray. Father, I love you. I thank you for this gospel, the good news, the declaration that Jesus, you loved us so much, even in our sin. You gave your life on a cross, paying for our sin, and you were raised on the third day. That is the gospel. And what makes it beautiful news is that my life has been transformed because of what you did. I'm asking you for the courage. I'm not not asking for those in this room that don't have a relationship with Jesus to wait to next week. If you're in this room and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you know what, today's the day. The resurrection's already happened. We're gonna celebrate it next week, but you know what, we celebrate it every day. And the resurrection's already happened. And the invitation for, for your life today is given right now. And I'm asking you to have the courage to say this to Jesus. Jesus, I'm coming to you and humbling myself. And I'm asking you to forgive me. I'm asking you to save me. I'm asking you to show me the life that you have for me. And Jesus, I'm believing with faith that you've saved me. And you've made me new. And I'm trusting you with everything. And I'm going to pursue you in this life that you're calling me to. Thank you for your love and grace. Thank you for saving me. If that's you, if you prayed that this morning, I want you to do two things. I want you to mark it on a card so we can call you this week and talk to you about that. And I want you to go to one of these prayer partners on either side of this room and I want you to go public with them and say, I just accepted that invitation. What do I do now? And they're gonna help you. They're gonna walk with you. They're gonna love you. Father, I thank you for salvation. I thank you that you've called us to be your hands and feet. I pray that this week, you give us the courage to make the invitations everywhere we go. For your beautiful name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Creek Church. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast, or if you have any questions, you can email us at info at